This is the 21st and final message from the book of Revelation. When I announced I was preaching from Revelation uh, last summer, there were audible cheers in the room. I halfway expect to hear there be audible cheers in the room saying this is the last of all of those messages. I promise you this, when we prepared the last of these messages on the teaching team, there was weeping. We were so excited that we were done with the book of Revelation. We're looking forward to beginning in two weeks, the book of First Peter, but today we come to the conclusion of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22, verse 6, hear the word of the Lord. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Thank you. You may be seated. Today's message is titled, Takeaways. I like that word. We've heard it a lot in recent years. It means simply to grasp the key message or the key points of any kind of presentation. But I'm a word guy, and I got a little curious as to how that word came into our vernacular, and I found out that the word takeaway comes to us from British food culture. What we call take out when we go to a restaurant to take out food, they call takeaways. And that made me love the word takeaway even more. Because essentially what we are doing today is we are taking away from the book of Revelation those things upon which we can feast as we reflect on the book. And there are several of them that I want to share with you today. The first is this. Takeaway number one, this could happen to me. This prophecy, the events of this book, could take place in my lifetime. 
As we got together as a teaching team and thought about these takeaways, we really settled in on that one first, the idea that this could happen in our lifetime. And the reason we settled in on this one first is because there is a particular promise given three different times in the span of the verses that we just read. We read them in verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20. The promise is, from Christ I am coming soon. And when you get to verse 20, Jesus underscores the promise and says, surely, make no mistake about it, I am coming soon. When you hear that, surely, make no mistake about it. When you see something repeated three times, it is the Bible's way of communicating the certainty that the events that will precede the coming of Christ and the coming of Christ himself will certainly, surely, absolutely happen. Jesus says, I am coming soon. 2,000 years ago, I am coming soon. And unless I missed it, he still hasn't returned. Which leads us to ask a very theological question. What gives? How come the promise has not yet been fulfilled when Jesus said it would be soon? Well, what I'm about to share with you I think is accurate. It just may not be very satisfying. Jesus is not speaking in code when he says soon. He meant soon. Now, he's speaking from an eternal perspective. My guess his watch doesn't run like yours and I, my, our watch runs. But here is what he is meaning to communicate and to land in our hearts. It's the idea that every generation of Christians, every single Christian who has ever been born, needs to live with the understanding that the return of Christ is imminent, that it could happen in our lifetime. Now, in the past 150 years or so in the Western world, that idea of eminence that, that Christ could come in our lifetime has started to be communicated in the idea of immediacy, the idea that Christ could come immediately. In other words, the return of Christ could take place before I finish this sentence. My understanding of the book of Revelation is that what Jesus is promising here is that Christ will come soon. The season of Christ's return, as outlined in the events of this book, this season will come soon. And in the Old Testament, that season of return is indistinct from the moment of return. The Old Testament speaks of it as the day of the Lord. And so I live with the sense not that Jesus will come back in the next five seconds, but that I might be at the dawn of the season of his return. In just a few more weeks, I'll be 55 years old. In some services here at Blue Valley, that makes me a very old man. I feel at home in this one. No offense. <laughs> now, I have lived through multiple eras of proclamation that I just think the return of Jesus is around the corner. 
various tumults that have happened in my lifetime, Jesus could come at any second. And he hasn't. And frankly, I'm, I'm not certain that too many of those things quickened my pulse very much. Caused me to think, you know what? I wonder if they're right. Mainly because there is a tendency for us to look at the events of our lives not in the narrow sense that we should, but in a broader sense. In other words, what is true for me in my experience is true all across the world. And because Christianity has become more and more difficult to live out without getting pushback in our culture, we tend to think, well, man, it's so bad that it must be almost now. Except that the pushback that we get from time to time in America is outright persecution in other parts of the world and has been for centuries. So I've always tended to think, you know, when people are saying Christ could come at any moment because things are bad, they're just saying, well, things are a little difficult for me now. But I don't think that anymore. As I look at our world, I see an, an undoing of the foundations, and not just in the Western world, all across the world. You see the same kinds of strife, secular world and in the cultural world, in the West that you see in the East, it seems that the very foundations of our world are shaking in a way that I have never before known them. I believe that it is possible that we are entering the season of Christ's return. I'm not saying that we are. I'm just saying that I have never seen it like this. That makes everybody happy, right? I've moved from the hypothetical, live like it could happen to me, to saying to you, it may very well be happening to you. So, how can I help you with the second takeaway? Takeaway number two is this, live like it already has. It could happen to you. How do you prepare for it? You live like the season of Christ's return has already dawned. That's taken from verse 7. Look at verse 7 of Revelation 22. Jesus says, and behold, I am coming soon. And then note this, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Keep the words, obey what you read in this book. This is not the first time that, that this has been shared with us. In fact, it shows up in verse 3. And most of us, frankly, never think of the book of Revelation as being something instructive in terms of the practical daily living that we're called to. We tend to read the book of Revelation as something to satisfy our curiosity or to engage intellectually, but we don't read it like the, the letters of the New Testament, like Ephesians and 1 Peter, which we'll be in in a couple of weeks, as speaking to how we should live our lives in light of the fact that we're followers of Jesus. And yet, in this book, Multiple times, we are told to obey what it says. Jesus clearly meant for the book of Revelation 
not to be studied as a curiosity, but to be obeyed. So let's then consider what the book of Revelation asks us to do. If you'll hold your place in Revelation 22, go back to the first chapter, Revelation chapter 1, and I want you to really track with the stunning nature of the confession that is made at the very beginning of the book. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, note this, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, the king of the kings of the earth is the one behind the message that I'm sharing with you. Now, I want to make sure that we grasp how that's going to land in the ears of a first century Christian. Jesus is the king of the kings of the earth, even Caesar who is demanding that he be worshipped as a god. Jesus is his king. Jesus won't someday be his king. Jesus won't someday be the king of the kings of the earth. You, Christians living under the Roman Caesar, need to understand that Jesus is the king of the kings of the earth right now. So, he's not going to return to become king. He's already king. That is made clear in the rest of this little section. Verses that we quote every week at the close of our services. To him who has loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood, who made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. He starts the book telling us that Jesus is the king of all the kings of the world. And then he concludes it in Revelation 22, verse 16, with words that underscore that. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches, And then note this, I am the root and the descendant of David. Those are two messianic terms, messianic designations that we read in the uh, the Old Testament. One less common, the root of David that's found in Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 11. And then descendant of David used more wide on a widespread basis in the Old Testament. But both Messianic terms, speaking to kingship, and then the bright morning star, which is the second time that we've heard that phrase in the book of Revelation, speaking to his preeminence. He's just simply saying, who I said I was at the beginning, I am now. I am the king of the kings of the earth. I am the ruler of all things. So, now that we've got fixed in our mind who this Jesus is, he's the king of the kings of the earth, he is the supreme ruler, what are we to do? We're to live as citizens of his kingdom. When you give your life to Christ Jesus as Savior, you become an outsider in this world. We're going to see that over and over again in the book of 1 Peter starting in just a few weeks. The nature of your relationship to Jesus Christ as Savior 
should make you not quite fit in in virtually any other place that you would find yourself to be in in the world except the local church. It's the only place where if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not an outsider. And just as my American citizenship comes with obligations, so much more so, my citizenship of the kingdom of God, of which Jesus is the king, has citizenship responsibilities. And the book is filled with commands that point us in the direction of those responsibilities. The letters to the seven churches that open the book are filled with commands to repent, to, to confess as sin those things that have taken root in us and have begun to diminish the power and the impact of our faith in Jesus in our lives, and to endure. And then when you get into the prophecies that begin in Revelation chapter 4, those prophecies are always talked about in the sense as from the perspective of the faithful, enduring, being faithful, even if it requires your very life. In, in short, the commands of Revelation can be summed up in this sentence. It causes us to prioritize our relationship with Christ, to guard it zealously, and to live it sacrificially. What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? It means to prioritize your relationship with Christ, to guard it zealously, and to live it sacrificially. So, how do you live like it's already happened? By what I just said. So, we have to do some introspection. Am I someone who is, who is guarding and who is living it zealously and and sacrificially my life with Christ? Am I prioritizing my relationship with Christ? And you know what I've found? I found? This is true of Derek Lynch. I'm probably not the world's best judge of how good a citizen I am. You, uh, let me let you in on a secret about me. What's true of me is that I just want to hear the unfiltered Word of God about the things I already believe. <laughs> but if the unfiltered Word of God challenges me in ways that make me uncomfortable, I'll designate the person who is telling me those things an enemy of the state in some way, compromising the Word of God in some way, but I won't listen because I'm a human being. And what I want to do is I want to come off looking good in my own eyes. So here's what I need. You know what I need to be able to tell whether or not I'm prioritizing my relationship with God, that I'm guarding it zealously and living it sacrificially? Here it is, the church. I need a church. I need a church that will infirm me and encourage me, and I need a church that will tick me off. I need a church that will challenge me with all the preconceived baggage that I bring in those doors. That's what we need. That 
is how. We live like it's already happened. So first takeaway, it could happen in my lifetime. Second takeaway, live like it already has. Here's the third one. It's easy. John screwed it up with a song. Fear not. He didn't. John is great about preparing us to encounter the message of the word. Takeaway number three fear not. Now, that may not be your first reaction when you read a verse like verse 12, behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I mean, that doesn't sound like fun. I don't even know what recompense means. So what is, it, but it sounds bad. So, so what is recompense? Well, most English translations translate it as reward, and it's actually the second time that the word is used in the book of Revelation. We find it again in Revelation chapter 11, verse 18. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding, there's that word that's recompense in Revelation 22, for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Jesus is coming back to judge all of humanity throughout human history on the basis of what they have done. Now, if you've been paying attention in church, our church, all these years, you say, well, that doesn't sound right. I thought that we were saved by grace. I thought we're saved by grace. What do you mean Jesus is coming back? To judge us based on what it is that we have done. Look at verse 14 again, please. Right after saying that Jesus is bringing his recompense, verse 14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Actually, in John's language, the way that would have hit their eyes in reading it, hit their ears in listening to it, it would have sounded something like, blessed are those who keep washing their robes because they will have access to the tree of life. Those who keep on washing their robes will have access to the tree of life. And so I want to ask, okay, well, what are they washing their robes in? Because that seems to me to be, uh, frankly, very key to that whole statement. Well, I want you to listen to what is said in Revelation 7, 14. The last part of it, speaking of the faithful in the time of tribulation, the last part of verse 14 says, They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. What then humanity will be judged on is if they are continually keeping their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. Meaning what? Those who have given their lives to Jesus will have done what is necessary to escape the judgment of God when He returns. Those who have not will not have done what is necessary to escape the judgment of God when he returns, and they will be finally, fully, completely, totally judged. So all of humanity 
will one day be based on either their belief in Christ, and by belief I mean total commitment to Christ, meaning that we continually live in the understanding that our robes, our life, need to be bathed in the blood of Christ, not just as it was for me on March of 26, 1978 when I gave my life to Jesus, but this morning when I got up living in that idea that I am perpetually kept alive spiritually by the sufficient sacrifice of Christ. Those who have made that decision and put their belief in that Christ will not experience the judgment to come, but those who have rejected Him will. So there's no reason to fear church, if you've given your life to Jesus as your king. I have noticed over the years, this book, this peculiar book, has a peculiar effect on people. I've noticed that it tends to make those who have no reason to fear, followers of Jesus, uneasy. It is a very human thing to want to hear the words, everything's going to be okay. And so then to hear, everything's going to be okay. But it may get really frighteningly, horrifyingly bad first, has the effect of making followers of Jesus do what this book is calling us not to do, to fear. I know that people have have gone down a rabbit hole with this book and they decided to run away from the world and doomsday prep and they start looking, oh, there's the mark of the beast, there's the mark of the beast, there's the mark of the beast. I mean, it literally has been everything in my lifetime. It literally has been everything in my lifetime. There it is. We need to be scared. There it is. We need to be scared. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's made us panicked, frightened children. It's peculiar to me. Peculiar to me. On the other hand, it tends to cause those who have every reason to fear because they've not given their lives to Jesus to roll their eyes. Let's face it, the prospect of the world coming to a cataclysmic end and the true king returning in the sky on a horse is met with an eye roll by people who don't believe this kind of They dismiss it, not in my time, not ever. But I want you to hear again the words of Jesus. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. There are those at the end of all things who will be on the inside of God's grace, and there will be those who are on the outside of it. There are those who will be blessed, and there are those who will be cursed on the basis of belief or unbelief. And as we've read, that curse will be final, it will be horrific, and it will be total. And so the book ends with a reminder that it's not yet too late to become a citizen of the kingdom led by the king who is the king of all kings. 
He will return. Let me let you in on a secret. Even I know I may be completely jacked up on the details. I mean, I know that. It's a mysterious book. Anybody who speaks as if they've got it all figured out is arrogant beyond belief. I know I may have the details jacked up. You may have the details jacked up. But here's where we can all plant our flag and know that we know that we know. The king is coming. And it may very well happen in our lifetime. And he is bringing his recompense with him. And only those who have washed their robes in the blood of Jesus will hope. Are you in or are you out? Let's pray.